the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. But I just want to pause right here and say, but for those of you who are contemplating marriage, you are a believer, and the person you're, you're you know, dating right now is a non-believer, put the brakes on that. Put the brakes on that, all right? You know, don't live by the motto, flirt to convert. No? No? And, and by the way, it's, it's, it becomes a sticky situation at this point because if you say to that non-believing person you're dating, well, you know, I can't really marry you until you become a believer. Now guess what their motivation is? Here's a little advice. Don't flirt to convert. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he gives you practical advice when looking for a potential spouse. The Bible warns about unequally yoked relationships. God's wisdom says that if you're a believer, that you should marry a believer. Pastor Gary explains that when you are trying to date a non-believer, that potentially their only motivation for conversion is you and not actually Jesus. Flirting to converting is not wise. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The introduction I want to make to this chapter that um, I felt like at the end of last week's study, just kind of as a cliffhanger about all of this, you know, related to singleness, marriage, and sex and divorce, But I just wanted to say this. There's obviously a lot of room for errors on this topic in our lives. Because whenever we talk about relationships, relationships can get messy. Relationships, frankly, sadly, can get ugly. Obviously, relationships can be healthy, can be wonderful. But there's also a uh, a downside to relationships because wherever you have two or more gathered, you have the opportunity for conflict. You have the opportunity for heartache. You have the opportunity for um, uh, people to be betrayed and, and to wound one another. And so because of that, you might read through this chapter and you might look at your own life in regards to relationships, uh, past or, or present, and, and think to yourself, um, you know, I've blown it in a lot of these areas. As you kind of read God's instruction, you might look at your life and say, uh, I haven't always done what God said the way he says that we should do it. And so, you know, for the sake of those of you who uh, may tend to beat yourself up too much, I just, I just kind of want to, want to say this. Um, because relationships can be sometimes obviously messy, difficult, uh, and not always obviously only dependent on you, 
Uh, we can only do as much as it depends on us individually, but in relationships, it also uh, depends on another person as to whether or not they will respond in a godly way or not. And so we can't obviously be responsible for other people besides ourselves. So I just want to say this, whether or not when you read this chapter, it kind of brings up in your mind your own personal failures or your, or your own personal sins, uh, either because of disobedience or because of ignorance. Some of you are reading this stuff and perhaps for the first time you're thinking, didn't know that, wasn't aware of that. Whether or not you will read this and take to heart personal times when you can look back and feel like you have failed God or failed people or other people have failed you, here's the key. Start afresh now. Okay, You can't go back and change anything. None of us can. What's done is done. And, and so, as much as we need to take responsibility, we need to. We need to come clean with God. We need to get right with God. We need to say we're sorry to God and sorry to other people that perhaps we've offended and wronged in relationships. Whether or not they ever say they're sorry to us, if they've offended us, that's up to them and God, okay? But as far as it depends on us, once you come to a place where you, okay, I hear this, I learn it, or I might be reminded of it, start afresh. You can't go back. You can't change anything. So now be responsible from this point going forward. All right? Don't beat yourself up for what has happened in the past. What's happened in the past has happened in the past. And God is a gracious and a merciful God. And He is loving and He forgives us. But rather than read this and get depressed and go, Oh, I didn't do that. I didn't do this. Oh, God says to do that. And, and I blew it in that area too. Start afresh here. Just make it a point to say, at this point moving forward, This is a new day for me, and because of God's grace, I'm going to start afresh from this point, and I'm going to now honor what he says going forward, okay, because we can't change the past. So I just want to kind of clarify that and make sure everybody reads this and realizes, even if you see your failures and your sins in this chapter, which obviously a lot of the Bible exposes us for who we really are, so there's a lot of the Bible that, you know, will confront us, and that's okay. That's actually a wonderful thing when we respond to it in the right way. Okay, rather than it just shaming us to the place of like, well, now I just feel completely depressed about my life. All right. Decide as you read this that whether or not you completely obeyed it, this point forward, you will, as far as it depends on you. You can't be responsible for other people, but as far as it depends on you, you're going to do what is right in God's eyes and you're going to honor him. All right. Amen to that. Amen. Okay. So just by way of quick review now up to this point, for those of you who weren't with us last week. Singleness, marriage, sex, and divorce. Why all the confusion? This is a point in the letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 7, verse 1, where Paul starts by saying, now to the matters you wrote about. They had questions and they were confused about relationships and marriage. We talked about it extensively last week. I'm not going to go over it all again. But the main reasons they were confused is because they did not understand God's views. The church at Corinth was predominantly Gentile with a little bit of of Jews who were believers in Christ. But because the the great preponderance of the congregation was uh, Gentile, they were only exposed primarily to a Roman heathen culture. They come into the church, they bring all that Roman heathen culture baggage with them. 
So they didn't understand God's views as it relates to marriage and sex and and singleness. And the other reason was because, sorry, the other reason was because they had conflicting and incorrect views in the church about things physical and sensual. We talked about this, uh, that asceticism and how some even viewed, even in the church, even among Christians who were married, that sex was somehow wrong or ugly because everything related to the body is sinful, which isn't true, but that's some of the some of the um, misguided thoughts that they had in the church at Corinth. And then he begins, Paul does, to give counsel by, by the Holy Spirit to different kind of stages in relationships. And, and he gives counsel to the married in the first part of chapter 7. And he talks about how a husband or a wife should seek to sexually satisfy the other. And that is a responsibility of one to the other in a marriage. But he also talks about how that there were a couple of reasons that you that you might intentionally deprive each other sexually. And what he gives us there in chapter 7 are these three things, that there might be a time by mutual consent, uh, for whatever reason, uh, um, sex is, is uh, going to be something that needs to be just kind of delayed for a time, but it should be by mutual consent. It should be for a limited time, because he says, don't let Satan get a foothold here. Don't let Satan take advantage of, of your uh, sex drive that God has given you to be used for wrong purposes. So make sure that as a married couple, you come to, together uh, you know, quickly enough that it doesn't linger too long and for an express purpose with prayer. So if it's going to be mutually decided for a limited time, there should be some aspect of a reason behind it that you should be praying about together. Uh, and it could be, you know, something obviously unrelated to your sex life. It could be something as, as a family. It could be a personal crisis. It could be something that you're going through that you just need to devote yourselves more to the spiritual and not necessarily to the physical for a time and pray together and just seek God over. Then he gives some advice to the unmarried and widows, verses 8 through 9. And his advice there was basically that it is better to remain single if you have the gift, otherwise it is better that you marry. And he does refer to singleness as being a gift. I don't necessarily number it as a spiritual gift. If you look at some lists that some Bible commentaries put together, sometimes they see singleness as a spiritual gift. I I think he means that in quotes. I think he means it as some people are just given a special ability to be content in their singleness. They don't have a desire to get married. They don't really need to get married or want to get married, and they're content in their singleness, and that's okay. He says, it's okay if you have that gift. Otherwise, if you don't, if you feel like, hey, I want to be married, then that's okay to get married too. Just be content wherever you might be. To the married, he gives some advice, but he specifically is talking about the married in a troubled marriage. And the advice he gives to them is this. Separation is not ideal, but sometimes necessary. However, marital faithfulness should be maintained and reconciliation should be sought. You see, this is in contrast to what our culture teaches about separation. Our culture teaches that separation is basically a stepping stone to divorce. And that there's a process in divorce. And first you separate, and then you get a financial settlement, and then you try to arbitrate about the kids if there are kids, and then, and then you move towards divorce and sign the papers. The Bible doesn't teach separation that way. The Bible doesn't teach separation as a stepping stone to divorce. The Bible teaches separation as a stepping stone towards reconciliation. 
It is a cooling off period. It is a time for people, if it is necessary, to kind of get alone, get away, get with God, really seek the Lord for themselves. God, what are you showing me in this, about me in this marriage? What is it that you need to work on with me in this marriage? Okay, notice the emphasis there, because a lot of times we're praying for the other person, right? Lord, show that guy, show that lady, God, get them, you know, help them to understand. And you know what God really wants is just for us to say, God, just show me what I need to know about me. And we need to leave the other person up to God. And don't fret over that. You know, a sign of maturity is when you're more concerned about your own sin than you are the sin of other people. Okay, so be concerned about where you are in your life, in your marriage, in your relationship with God, and ask God to expose those things in your own heart. Let, let God worry about your spouse. But hopefully through a period of separation, then you might come together for reconciliation. Then Paul gives uh, uh, advice to what he calls the rest, okay? It's just kind of a broad category. But he's speaking specifically between verses 12 and 16 of those who are married to an unbeliever. If you're a Christian and you're married to an unbeliever, here's his advice. He says, stay married to the unbeliever as long as he or she is willing for the sake of that person and your children, if there are children in the marriage. In other words, his advice is that your unbelieving spouse might come to faith because of your believing life. Don't underestimate how you live your life in the Lord as a possible testimony to your unbelieving spouse. They're watching. Okay, And they're going to understand some things about Christ through you, which is always the reason why, again, we need to be asking the Lord, what is it in my life that you need to expose and help me with? Because we should always be concerned about properly representing Christ in the workplace, in our neighborhood, in our family. And your unbelieving spouse might come to faith because of your believing life. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard this as a testimony in marriages. Okay? Now, again, you know, the the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked. So advice to those of you who are thinking about getting married, and you are a Christian, and the person you're thinking of marrying is a non-Christian, don't get married to them. That's the advice of the Bible. Because that's an unequally yoked relationship. If you're a believer and the other person is not. So Paul's talking about, okay, if... If you didn't know that, and you happen to be a believer who's married to a non-believer, stay with them. Your testimony might end up winning them to Christ. But I just want to pause right here and say, but for those of you who are contemplating marriage, you are a believer, and the person you're, you're you know, dating right now is a non-believer, put the brakes on that. Put the brakes on that, all right? You know, don't live by the motto, flirt to convert. No? No? And, and by the way, it's, it's, it becomes a sticky situation at this point because if you say to that non-believing person you're dating, well, you know, I can't really marry you until you become a believer. Now guess what their motivation is? Now I'll get saved so I can marry you. So, so then it becomes complicated because now you don't know, is this person actually just converting to Christ because they want to marry me? So best advice is don't, don't even get in a dating relationship if you're a Christian with a non-Christian. Again, it isn't to be pious. It isn't to say, well, we're too good for the non-Christians. No, it's just simply to say that next to your relationship with Christ, which should be the most important decision you ever make, the second most important decision you ever make is the person you marry. Okay? And so if you want to honor the Lord and you want that relationship to be primary, 
then you want to make sure that the second most important relationship also honors the Lord. And if you as a believer get in a marriage with a non-believer, there's just extra heartache. That's all I can tell you. And those of you who are married in that kind of a mixed relationship, you can testify. There's just some differences. And, and there's, there's differences in the way you see the world. There's differences in the way you manage money. There's differences in the way you raise your kids. There's differences in the way that you express your love to each other. There's differences in your priority. There's all kinds of differences. Now, that isn't to say that marriage doesn't have differences, because every marriage does. But why would you want to add to the natural differences by bringing also the differences of a relationship that one has or doesn't have with Christ? It makes for a very difficult relationship. Now, does sometimes it work? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying in every household it becomes this or becomes that. There's a danger in that. Uh, sometimes it works out. Sometimes, um, you know, eventually somebody comes to faith. Sometimes they never do, but there's some compatibility there. But in the wisdom of Scripture, I'm just telling you that the Bible tells us, do not become unequally yoked or connected or bonded to someone that you do not share Christ in common with. That's also good advice in business, by the way. I can't tell you how many times over almost 30 years of ministry I've had to arbitrate between business partners because people got in business together and one was a believer and one was not. And it became a mess in their business and the other person had to buy the other person out. I'm just telling you. This is wisdom from God's Word, and we need to heed it and understand that it's for our benefit. So, stay married to the unbeliever as long as he or she is willing for the sake of that person and your children, because they can get exposed to Christ through you, okay? However, if the unbeliever wants out of the marriage, the believing spouse is no longer bound. That is not to say that you should therefore encourage it. That is not to say that, you know, if the non-believer wants to leave, you know, show them the door, all right? It's just simply saying that if that non-believer says, I'm out of this marriage and I'm going to leave anyway, try as much as you might to save the marriage. If that person leaves, you're no longer bound. You are, in God's eyes, free to remarry if that non-believing spouse chooses to leave. But that is on that person. You as the Christian do not get the option of exercising that, of saying, well, there's an unbeliever, he or she's going to leave me anyway, so I'm just going to get a head start. No, that's not on on you. That's on the non-believer. And so God says, as, as far as it depends on you as a believer, you hang in there. If the unbeliever leaves, then it's on the unbeliever. But you hang in there until such time, and who knows, God might do a wonderful thing in that person's life. So that's where we left off last week. It's right at verse 17. So if you look there now, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 17. He says this, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Okay, now we're going to pause there because then he's going to illustrate it, but let's understand this first statement that he makes here. He says, you know, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So he's, he's not saying that if you're single, your, your, state, your status in life should always stay single. Um, what he's simply saying is learn to be content in whatever status you're in right now. If, if, you're, if you're married, don't want to be single. And if you're single, don't want to be married. Want in the sense, 
and this is the trap that a lot of people get in. If my status were to change, this, this, is the, this is the fallacy. If my status were to change, I'd be better off and I'd be happier. Okay? If, as a single person, if my status were, if I just got married, then I'd be really happy. <laughs> Woo, all right, we'll get a, later, a little bit of that later in the chapter where Paul talks about you're going to have some troubles when you get married. So, but, so don't, if you're single, don't go, if I, if I were married, I'd just be happier. And if you're, and if you're married, don't say, if I were just single, I'd be happier. And, and if, and if you are, you know, widowed, just, you know, or whatever your situation might be, don't, don't think that if a change in status happens, then my life would be better off. What Paul is saying here is you just learn to be content right where God has you. Now, God can obviously know your heart and it's okay to pray and say, Lord, this is what, this is what I would like. And I'm particularly talking to those of you who are single. I'm not encouraging you married to say, this is what I would like, you know, <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't be praying that. But, but particularly those of you single, it's okay to just, you know, make your request known to God. All right. But then, but then trust him with your future and learn to be content. Just to be content. Right where God has you. Okay. It's important. When we get all worked up about, you know, I want this, I want that, and Lord, you know, why does it? And it's just, there's something about that frenzy that, that is not productive in, in our lives spiritually. And so it's best to just learn to whatever my circumstance, wherever I am, whatever my season, I'm just going to be content right, right where I am. And I'm going to, and I'm going to trust the Lord. Okay. Um, I, I got that as good advice when I was young and single. Now, uh, I don't know, some of you know our story, and I'm not going to go into the details, um, and, and I don't know if, if Terry's even here tonight, but, um, but I, I was in love with, I was lovesick. I was in love with that girl for two years, and she didn't even notice me. Okay. She was dating another guy. All right. Very serious relationship. She's been like in, in this relationship with this guy for like three years. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. He was a nice guy. And I just, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm just scratching my head. But anyway, but you know, but, but seriously, he actually was a very nice guy. And, um, and, and, and yet, you know, and, and so I was like, all. Like, ah, you know, why doesn't she notice me? And, you know, and, I, and, and I'm not the kind of guy that's, I'm going to go swooping in. Like some of you guys are like that with a girl that you were, you're just like, I don't care if she's with another guy. I'm swooping in, you know, soaring like an eagle. I'm going to swoop, swoop right in there. And she's going to notice that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I just, that's just my personality. I'm like, okay, I'm going to respect this. She's with another guy, you know? And so, but for like two years now, there was this glorious, uh, because we were in the same like young adults college age group at the church we were going to. And so there was this, uh, <laughs> there's this ski trip that a bunch of us went on. Okay. And so we're on the ski lift and I'd only been skiing like one, one other time before this. And so we're on a ski lift and I'm, and I'm just like a puppy. I'm I'm just like sick in love. And I'm just like, you know, the whole time and she's with this boyfriend. Okay. And they got on the chair on the ski lift in front of me. And so I'm on the, I'm on the chair behind and, you know, we're going up the ski lift and I'm seeing them in front of me in this, in the chair in front of me. And they're like talking and they're like, 
And I was like, oh, how sick is this, you know? And, I, and so, and, but they're going up on the ski lift. And so then the ski lift, and so then their chair, you know how it is. If you've been skiing, you gotta, you gotta get right off as that lift goes, or it's, or you're gonna, you know, go with it. And so you gotta, you gotta get your, your poles ready. You got your skis ready. And so as the lift comes right, you gotta get right off there. And so she and her boyfriend got off first and they're waiting there for me and the other people who are in our college group. But as I got off the chair, I'm just looking at her and I'm just like, oh, and I didn't even realize that a chair had dumped me off and I dump right onto her and fall right on top of her, right on top of her. And she's, you know, we're face to face. She's on her back and I'm on, and I'm, and my face is on her face. All right. And, and her boyfriend is looking over us like this. And I don't know what he muttered something like, are you done? It was something like that. But, um, but you know, anyway, it worked out. <laughs> but, uh, but, but the thing is, but the thing is, the advice I got at that time was you just need to relax and you just need to trust God and you just need to rest and stop getting all anxious. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection. As Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies. And you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been blessed by today's teachings in the book of 1 Corinthians. Keep reading on your own to discover many other inspiring and motivating things that apply to you today. We'll look forward to you joining us on our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go but still you know, still you know you're, not alone. you're not alone Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new life
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.